Hi there, this is Will Buckley, and in this podcast, I'll be speaking with Chris Boss about the current state of the economy. Hope you enjoy it. This is Logic. So, in our in previous conversations we've had, you've expressed to me your uh, thoughts about the economy, and especially regarding how you believe it it is likely to uh, undergo some sort of collapse in the coming months. Can you uh, expand on, on this line of thinking? Well, it all revolves around the Federal Reserve System, which is the central bank of the United States. It's increasingly common in the modern world to have central banks, which are institutions responsible primarily for setting the interest rate which is, in loose terms, the price you pay for money. It's the amount that you'll have to pay in the future to get money now, and for directing the amount of money, total money, in the economy. And so it's been expanding its role pretty dramatically uh, by keeping interest rates abnormally low, although abnormal is sort of a loaded term. The point is, the free market is supposed to set the interest rates, so in the central bank, like the Federal Reserve, others call their central bank the Bank of England, Bank of Germany, or Deutsche Bank, etc. The central bank sets the interest artificially low, or lower than it would be in the market. Money appears cheaper to everybody, uh, but for no good reason. The normal way money becomes cheaper is that there's an excess of savings, so more people are saving than spending, and so there actually is more money. Which a better way to think of money is resources being saved in the economy. So when the interest rate is pushed down artificially low, just by some central force, there is simultaneously more demand for money now for investment, and there aren't enough savings to back it, which creates the illusion of prosperity where there are not enough resources to justify that prosperity. And what happens as a result is that a lot of firms undertake expenses that they think they can afford, that they think are profitable, but are not actually. And a good example is, I heard this example from one of my favorite guys, because I forget which one, maybe Tom Woods, an economist. It's like if you're a restaurant in Salt Lake City during the 2002 Olympics, and suddenly, and you're not aware of, of uh, cultural events at all, so you don't even know the Olympics are going on. Suddenly you see a huge surge in demand. So many customers are coming in. You can't fill your tables, etc. And this happens day in and day out for a couple weeks. So you decide to build a new restaurant. By the time the restaurant's built, the Olympics are over. Yeah. So you just wasted all those resources. And that's happening on a massive scale, in and out, all over the place. And that's what the housing collapse was in 2007, just this time it's not going to be housing, it's going to be currency itself, which means the value of the currency itself is going to crash, which has implications not just for the housing market and everyone who depends on housing, but for every single economic transaction, because money is half of every transaction. Yeah. And that's that's the theory of it. And do, do people just generally not understand that this is happening, or well, are they ignoring it? Well, what do you mean by people? The average person, and it's not, it's 
not bad that the average person doesn't know about economics. It's not uh, offensive. Everybody doesn't know about most things in the world. The average person just doesn't know or doesn't care about it. Or at least, because he doesn't know how bad it could be, he doesn't care. <coughs> Maybe if he did know, he would. But the average economist, the current, the current paradigm in economics right now is more of a neo-Keynesian, which is the branch pretty much directly opposed in every way in terms of money and what we should do with money, to the Austrian school, which is the school I was just describing. And so the vast majority of economists believe that the real nuts and bolts of the problem is that there's not enough demand in the economy. So when not, there's not enough demand, there's not enough people buying, I mean some firms have to lay off their workers because they can't pay them with anything because they don't have revenues. Those workers go out and stop buying, which leads to further drops in demand, and that's just a snowball effect. Um, and the reason this is a problematic view is that they come in and try and shore up the demand by deficit spending. So if people aren't spending, they want the government to spend instead by borrowing in bad times. And then theoretically they're supposed to pay it back in good times, but that has never happened. The problem is the economy is not a light switch that you just flip on and off by increasing demand if the situation I just described is correct in that if resources are already in the wrong place, you actually wouldn't want to increase demand because you're wasting it. So the Austrian view is that the collapse is necessary to clear out all this, all this malinvestment is what it's called. Otherwise, all the stimulus in the world is only going to stimulate wasted projects. So even, even if most people subscribe to this theory, they wouldn't necessarily want to do anything else about it besides let the economy collapse and rebuild itself. If people subscribe to my theory, that's exactly what they would want to do. Okay. And one of the reasons that's such an unpopular theory, just from a superficial uh, perspective, is that it seems like you're doing nothing. It seems like you're just letting it happen. It seems like you're admitting that the world is futile, but that's not the case. You're simply admitting that the sum of individual action is preferable to a centralized action. So people are actually doing things. It's just who's doing the things. Is it everybody, all the people who are correcting the market, or is it government? And we don't want government to do it. Right. And I'm ready to do another topic of uh, small government versus large government versus no government, etc. Uh, is this just, uh, is this mainly an economic issue that a, the smaller the government, the better, or is it? Well, for the, for the vast majority of people, it's primarily economic. And my theory is that even people who believe they're talking about principle are actually, at the end of the day, only talking about utility. And all they really care about deep down is how much uh, benefit, cross-benefit, they, they just treat everything as a cross-benefit analysis, even if they use the term principle. But the difference between 
small government and big government advocates is usually economic. The difference between small government and no government advocates is usually principle. Right. So it's a much bigger difference when you shut it off entirely than when you reduce it. And the anarchists are as a whole probably less uh, less focused on the economics than on the principle of voluntarism, which is that human beings do not have the right to initiate force against other human beings except in self-defense, and that government necessarily violates that tenet, and therefore any government is invalid no matter what the effect. So, do you think that in the case of uh, an economic collapse of some sort, do you think that the United States in particular would come out any differently in their uh, format of government, or do you think it would stay generally the same? You mean pre and post collapse? Like after the collapse, do you think it'll they would be entirely different? Almost to the point of being unrecognizable, is my belief. Because to, to one, the one thing that has to happen is they won't have enough uh, money or resources to fund all the obligations that they've made. So whether they want to or not, they have to cut 90 to 95% of everything. It's just literally impossible not to. Right. Because they're not going to uh, be able to borrow anymore. Or the only way they'll be able to borrow is by printing the money. It'll become so apparent that inflation is bad that that will become an unviable option. So those spending programs have to collapse. And two things can happen from that. One, social unrest can get bad, and that can be used as an excuse for increased social oppression, which means we'll have a police state, essentially, which would be really bad. Or, because it'll be so evident that we have to cut, we might actually responsibly cut back on military and internal domestic defense or police as well. So, impossible, it's, the, the guarantees are that there's going to be less spending. The variables are whether we become more socially free or dramatically less. Do you think, it seems to me that in a world like just after this sort of collapse, the, a country like the United States would become uh, abnormally vulnerable. Uh, that might have been what you're explaining with, with the police state or something, but do you think that would cause some sort of reaction in that direction? or? Um, well, the United States has a lot of advantages that other countries don't, so it has a history of uh, tolerance for gun ownership, and that's one of the primary deterrents to the police state and to tyranny, so that's right. a very good thing. And it has a huge abundance of natural resources, so that if we did collapse, at least we would have a way of rebuilding, and it has a uh, history of freedom of expression, and that's a deeply ingrained history, 
and that's going to be difficult to give up. So it has those three really good advantages. But other than that, compared to other countries, the uh, U.S. is a lot more giddy on its military, and so it might be willing to accept a lot more domestic military intervention than other than citizens of other countries would. And that's an avenue to all sorts of really bad things. Yeah. Do you think that you would uh, prefer to stay in the United States, or do you think that there, that in the event of something terrible happening, you would just decide to move somewhere else? I can say for sure that I don't want to be where I am now, which is Long Island, <laughs> the most densely populated island in, in its population bracket, pretty much in the world, in which hardly anybody's farmers and a huge portion of the population is dependent on government handouts. That's like, and the only way off the island is through one of 13 or 19 tunnels and bridges out of New York City. <laughs> That's like the worst possible combination. But, there's some good places in the United States, mostly in the Midwest where it's really rural, but overall I would not want to be in the United States now. I would prefer to be in Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, or one of the more, uh, or Germany, or one of the more credit-rich rather than debt-laden nations. I'll start uh, learning those new languages, I guess. <laughs> Not a chance in the world. <laughs> All right. This has been a fa fascinating interview. Oh, that's it? Of 14 minutes and 25 seconds. Oh, man. <laughs>